How can the Phillies stay in the hunt without Bryce Harper? That is the main story we want to talk about today for the latest State of the Division podcast on the Just Baseball Network. I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. Today, I'm joined by Aram Layton, co-founder of Just Baseball, and we're going to be bringing you all of your latest when it comes to the National League East. And I wanted to start with this great article we just had to go up this week on the site at JustBaseball.com by Zach Warden, talking about the Phillies and what they do without Bryce Harper. This season, Bryce Harper has been just as good as he was last year. He's producing at an incredible rate as a DH. He goes down now with the broken thumb, right? Uh, yep. And, you know, a thumb that he said he'd rather get hit in the face than get hit yes. in the thumb because he's a wild madman. Yes, but- he's out of his mind. <laughs> and also, he upped it one mile per hour. He said, I'd rather get hit 98 in the face than 97 in the thumb. Uh, which I get the sentiment. Uh, he did get hit in the face. It was kind of indirect last year, but I saw John Carlos Stanton get hit by 88 yeah. from Mike Fires, and it really messed him up. So I get what he's saying. He's a madman, and, and he just knows the importance to his team, man. They're, they're only three games out, and they've lost two straight, really, since he, he got hurt. I really wonder how they're going to stay afloat, and I'm excited to kind of flush out some of those ideas and really talk about whether they can. Yeah, you look at what, first of all, what he did in June. I mean, he was hitting 359, 455 on base, 651 slugging. Uh, at the time of the article, the foes were 18 and six on the month. So, uh, I mean, you're talking about a guy posting a 200 WRC plus, you got to pull from your lineup. Now, granted, the good news, the, the only silver lining is your defense gets slightly better because you can pull Castellanos or, or Schwarber out of one of the corners. But what you're losing offensively, even if you put in like the internal options we mentioned here, Matt Burling or Mickey Moniak, I mean, sure, a little better defensively, massive drop off offensively. They can't get by like that, can they? No. Um, and, and I think you either have to lean into the, the defensive side of things, right, and go all in on a defensive center fielder. And I know in the article, you know, without fully spoiling, you know, some of the options and things like that. But like, yes, are, or no, you're not going to be able to replace Bryce Harper's production. It's not going to happen. I think trying to do so is just going to set yourself up for failure. So getting a meh defensive outfielder uh, to bring in here that, you know, may not rake, I don't think makes sense. I think you got to go with the just premium defender and hope that he hits a little bit. And I think somebody like Kevin Kiermeyer, his offense will tick up uh, in Philadelphia oh, yeah. rather than, you know, in Tampa Bay, where we know a lot of hitters really struggle. It's not even Tampa Bay, St. Petersburg in that old dome over there at the trough. I, I do think that there's still a little bit left in there offensively for Kiermeyer. He is about to, you know, hit free agency after this year. He has a little bit of incentive to, to perform a little bit. I would love to see them go get a defender and lean into that and get that at least silver lining, like you said, out of it. There's a few other defensive oriented outfielders that they could go get. I don't know if they could get a Loriano or somebody like that because their system isn't quite there uh, and they'd have to part with one of their two gem pitching prospects, which is really all they have. Uh, so I would, I would love to see them go get a Kiermaier, but given the state of the Rays outfield right now and some of the injuries that they've had across the board and Kiermaier is banged up right now, uh, it's a tough spot for the Phillies to be in. And I don't even know if they go outside the org to go get somebody, yeah. but the season can get away from them quick. They're only two games over 500. And that's why I actually found the Andrew Benintendi suggestion, the most fascinating one. Uh, you know, I think we've talked a lot on this show and others about Loriano and even Kiermaier. I mean, his, I feel like he's been on the trade block for three years. Yes. Um, so I, I think those are names that get brought up a lot, but Ben Intendi is going to be moved. I would imagine if the Royals are, are doing their due diligence here, uh, at the deadline or before 
They don't got anything going on. There's no reason to hang on to him. I don't know. He's kind of in the middle a bit where I don't think that he's the the best offensive upgrade, but I do think that uh, you know he would help them a lot right now in this in this mean period here. And then defensively, I don't know about him in center field, but the Phillies haven't really paid attention to defense, so would they even care? Yeah, so that would be the only one of the only guys where I'd say, okay, just keep leaning into the offensive side of things because at least you're getting near 300 batting average. Yeah. No, he's not going to slug that much, but he's going to consistently give you offense. So short porch and right, I bet Benny taps into a bit more power. Then you lean into whatever. We'll just keep sucking defensively. It won't be worse. Uh, but I think you got to go one way or the other. It's a guy that's either going to be very offensive centric and you try to get make up as much of the lost production that you got from Harper as possible. Or you just say, hey, let's go all in on like a Chaz McCormick, Miles Straw type. And, and just get the defense out there. Because right now, Odubel Herrera isn't giving you anything. It's not defense. It's not offense. You're not really getting anything. There's similar boat with some of the other options. I don't think Veerling's great out there. And you know what, dude? The Phillies offense is good. Like, I, I don't yeah. think – I know that it, you're, you're going to hurt when losing an MVP caliber offensive piece, but their offense can stay afloat. Schwarber's been on fire as of late. I think he's launched six home runs in his last 13 games, and he's kind of taken his game to the next level. They need Castellanos to be better than a low 700s, high 600s OPS guy anyways, if they're going to win. So I think you you don't need to try to, to get it all back in one move, but they do need to get an outfielder because their internal options are just not good enough. And I do think that there's some cheap, uh, acquisitions. One other name that I really like that I think could fit in is Michael A. Taylor uh, oh, yeah. because he's going to give you elite defense and the way he's been swinging it this year. Uh, that's a guy that's probably going to give you better offense than you're getting from any of your internal options. So you're better off with both of those uh, situations there. I, I would love to see them go get Michael A. Taylor. Uh, maybe they could get him and Benny. Uh, I wouldn't said. hate it. I was just going to say that would change their entire team. You do that. And now suddenly you got a legit center fielder. You can stick Benny in left or right, I guess, depending on where you want to put the, the other only offense option you have out there. So probably right, I guess, if you got Schwarber playing left. But that would make them a pretty interesting team. Uh, I know you have a question that you want to poke some fun at me and ask me. So, so go ahead. Just, just ask away. One other thing, too, that I wanted to mention offensively is that they will get Gene Segura back eventually oh, yeah. as well. And that'll give them a bit of that offensive boost. And to be a top 10 OPS offense, Yes, you're going to lose Harper. That maybe puts him more towards the middle of the pack. You get Segura back. You go and get an above-average bat. That could still be a top-10 offense for a team that still, I would say, a lot of their main guys aren't hitting to the way that they should. 674 OPS for Nick Cassianos. It's got to be better than that. He literally can't be worse. But my question for you is, are you nervous yet, Fink? Are you nervous? Are, are the Braves creeping up on you enough where you're checking behind your back next? I know before you were just waltzing down the street, Looking forward, eyes ahead, not even worried about anybody behind you. Now you're starting to hear those footsteps. Are, are you hearing those footsteps? Here's what I'll say. A large majority of the Mets fan base is hearing those footsteps. Personally, uh, I've seen what the Mets have done this year, and I just believe in them as a team so much that even if the Braves were to, say, catch the Mets and take this division, I think this will be a race the whole way through, and I think both of these teams are playoff teams. And so to me, it's not something to be too concerned with yet because I just think the Braves are finally hitting the potential we knew they had going into the season. And so I don't overreact to the drastic shift in standings because they won 14 games in a row and now they're playing baseball the way that we expected them to. So it's been a great month 
uh, for the Philly or for the Phillies. It has been a grip for the Phillies, but for the Braves. Um, but the Mets have hung in there without Max Scherzer and they're getting him back right now. And I don't think that we can kind of understate the impact that getting Scherzer back for the remainder of the season is going to be for this Mets team. I agree. And, and that's the thing is they have those two just the aces in the hole that we talk about, like those, those two aces in the back pocket that whenever they get to ground, they get to ground, but Scherzer's a guy that's going to come back and presumably be, you know, good to go and be healthy. And he looks pretty good. I just watched some of his, his rehab start. Yeah. Um, he looked, he looked pretty strong. So I'm just looking at the Braves and I'm like, oh, this team kind of talk about internal option that worked. Michael Harris, like that's exactly what the Phillies would need if they had a Michael Harris. And I, I mean, what Harris is doing defensively is incredible. He's proving to be one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball right now. And he's swinging it well, too. I expect the offense to taper off a little bit, but he's always going to give you that premium defense out there. And I think that's allowed, you know, some other things to to unfold better where you don't have to worry about Duvall in center. And now, you know, things are balancing out, but the rotation is starting to look really good. Max Fried solidifying himself as one of the best starters in the game. I think the, the the Braves are not as far off from being one of the best teams in baseball, which is sounds dumb to say about the defending champs, but I thought we, I think people were very quick to kind of dismiss them or at least just say, Oh, you know, they got hot at the right time, but they're not, you know, a top, top team in baseball. Matt Olson's getting hot and we have all the Freddie Freeman controversy and all that. Matt Olson is a top three first baseman in baseball when he's going right. And I think last year made his cases arguably, you know, one or two, I mean, his numbers were up there with, with anybody besides basically Vladdy. Uh, this is a dude that easily could put the team on his back and be one of the best offensive players in baseball. He hasn't been that guy. He's starting to look like that guy. This is, this is getting really interesting. I agree with you. It can be similar to the 2021 Giants-Dodger situation where both teams are really good. Both teams have a shot to, to win it all. And I know the playoff structure being different kind of lessens the importance of, of winning that division. But you still want to win the division. You don't want oh, it to yeah. come down to just a couple games where anything can happen, uh, especially when you're the Mets and the Mets always find a way to, to, to mess things up. No, I, I get it. And uh, I understand, trust me, like the, the Mets fans are, are panicking and I get that there's so much history that would lead to this idea that it might collapse. But the way I look at this league right now in, in the NL is I feel like we're going to get to a point this season where we're going to have a consensus opinion that the best three teams in the league are the Dodgers, the Mets, and the Braves. That's where I feel like we're heading. And so with that said, uh, you know, the Braves being right there with the Mets, it's kind of where they should be. And I, I like that it could be a really exciting division race down the stretch here. Um, you know, if you, you don't want to – I know that a fan would always love to just win a division wire to wire, but it is fun to have that race down the stretch. There's going to be a series at the end of September leading into October uh, where it's Mets versus Braves in Atlanta – that could decide the division. And that's pretty exciting to me. Yeah, it, I, I agree. And, and I had a question uh, that was presented to me. I forget where I was asked this, but somebody said, you know, it, how can the Mets prevent, you know, collapse this year? You know, how do we know that this Mets team is, is different? And honestly, it's just, just the pitching. You know, yeah. I think I said the similar thing about the Padres because, you know, they had, uh, they've had some collapses. And I think they're built similarly too, where, uh, I, I don't know how the Padres are going to finish necessarily, but I think they're safe from that catastrophic collapse because of the pitching. When you have a rotation where it's almost guaranteed one of your main three or four guys will step up and almost just cut down that losing streak, give you that big start that you needed. 
that's something that the Mets haven't quite had in a while. And I, I think when you see someone like Taiwan Walker, you, you mentioned before we started recording, you know, what his splitter is in terms of run value is one of the best pitches as of late, you know, in all of baseball. Taiwan Walker over his last three starts has a 1-8 ERA. He's got 17 Ks and five walks in 20 innings. Like if Taiwan Walker is that dude for you as well, as you're getting those other pieces, I don't know if the Mets are going to be the most dominant team in baseball the whole way. But to me, that's a team that's impervious to a massive collapse when you have these kinds of pitchers top to bottom in your rotation. Uh, I just don't see how the Mets could fully collapse. It would be more so the Braves just getting so ridiculously hot that they just can catch anybody no matter what. Um, And that's what I think is going to be one of the best showdowns for baseball this year. I really do think it's going to be what Dodgers Giants was last year. I think that's what Mets Braves is going to be. Maybe not quite to the 106 wins total, but it's going to be up there mid nineties and a ton of fun in what should be a bloodbath. I think the NL East is starting to get a little bit stronger. What the Marlins decide to do will somewhat determine how competitive it is in terms of just, you know, is it going to be a selling Marlins team that kind of drops down like the Nats? And those are the games that you circle on your schedule and say, Hey, this will be nice and easy. Or do the Marlins try and gear up and just continue to be that tough middling team that you can't overlook, you know, when they're on the schedule, which I still think they are right now. I mean, you thought the Mets were going to sweep and the Marlins find a way to sneak one game out of that back end of the series, which the Mets could have used because they end up losing the next two uh, to a really good Astros team. And it seems like the Marlins, every time they're about to fall apart, they somehow grab that win. And they did the same thing again last night with Sandy Alcantara on the bump. Every time I think it's going to fall apart, they grab that win, they grab another win, and they just continue to barely tread water. It's it's really interesting to watch. As a Marlins fan, how fired up do you get last night watching Sandy basically shoot Don Manley away and say, this is my game, let me finish it, and he gets the double play ball pretty much right after that? Dude, it was so nice because I was thinking, like, oh, he's going to split the gap. And everyone's going to say, see, they shouldn't have left Sandy in. And then he's never going to be able to shoot Don Manningly away again. I mean, we saw Garrett Cole, you know, shoe away Aaron Boone uh, last year. And, and Garrett Cole's earned the right to do that by being, you know, one of the best pitchers in the game for a while now. I think Sandy Alcantara has now earned the right to shoe his manager away. And, for sure. and he backed it up there. And, you know, it was, it was awesome to see. I don't, I've lost hope on the season, but I have not. You know, I root for individuals and Sandy Alcantara is one of my favorite guys in the game, Um, even, you know, in in a personal presence too. talking to him after the game, uh, not this game, but just in Miami. He's so great with the press. He's super honest. He's very confident, but it doesn't come off in this, you know, obnoxious, braggadocious way. He's just he wants to go out there and throw 150 pitches every time. And, And I really just love and admire that throwback type of starter. And I mean where would the Marlins be without this guy, man? I mean, this guy is the franchise and I'll never compare anybody to Jose Fernandez, but they needed somebody to step up and be that ace and that face of the franchise type of pitcher and starter for them. And Sandy has done it just incredibly well. And I mean, he should, what do you think? I think he should be the the starter for the national league in the all-star game. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And I, I know, Probably about a week ago, I think uh, I saw Don Manley talking about how fans need to start showing up for Sandy like they did for Jose. And mm-hmm. obviously Don, you know, watched him up close and it is the closest thing that we've seen to Jose Fernandez. And, you know, Jose was like this enigma that, you know, we'll never see again, just a combination of talent and personality. And it just felt like he was kind of like the chosen one was how he was great at everything. Even the bat. I remember yeah, he even, he even raked any over at two twenty hitter in his career. Yeah. I remember seeing him hit a baseball further than a lot of guys in the Marlins lineup at the time. He was, he was one of their best hitters. 
but yeah, it's, I, I think we're getting to that point where Sandy's right there. I mean, the, the, the run he's on this season is as good as any we've probably ever seen in a Marlins uniform and fans really should start to kind of understand how good he is. And the ballpark should be at least modestly packed uh, at least, for those stars. Yeah. I mean, Jose got you like 20% more, like 10% more fans should be in the, in the stadium to watch Sandy pitch because it really is fun. And also he's great for pace of play. He works yeah. quick. He throws a lot of strikes and he gets a lot of early contact. He's not always just a big volume strikeout guy, but uh, Sandy's been keeping them afloat. The rotation has still been solid. Even with guys banged up, they're getting quality starts here and there from Dan Castano, Braxton Garrett. Uh, they're going to get some guys back. Uh, Lizardo's going to be out for a while. So I think Max Meyer could be an imminent call up that could help kind of give them a little bit more juice and excitement uh, in that rotation. But it's really about the offense and the defense and center and, and things like that. And where if you're the Marlins, 34 and 40 right now, they do have a soft schedule coming up, a lot of games uh, against some, some poor teams that hopefully they can you know, rack up some wins, then all of a sudden they're right around 500 at the deadline, which I think if you're that Marlins team, you probably have to look to add. Do you think this team should add or should they kind of just stand pat and, and reevaluate next year? Like what, what should this team really do uh, at this point? Obviously the division is gone. Uh, six games or so out of the, the wild card is doable uh, this early in the season. I mean, we're not even halfway there yet. What's your thoughts? I think they have to make a deal but you got to make sure you're making a deal for the future as well. So you, I would say make a trade, but make a trade for someone that has control, be a little more competitive this year, give those young guys a taste of winning and maybe trying in a race, even though you likely don't make it. But if you get, if it's that center fielder of the future, whatever it is, get a big piece, make a swing because they have the prospects. They got to use this prospect capital. It's, they're the one team in this division that could probably make the biggest swing if they wanted to, they got the best farm system, I think, or maybe I don't know how, how the Braves stack up with them. That, that's a question for you. But I, I would say that, you know, get somebody with more than two years of control, but they should be adding. I don't think they should necessarily be selling. I agree. And that's why I love the Loriano or, I mean, Brian Reynolds would be tough price wise, but one of those guys that, you know, has years of control that helps you now. And then you're also not compromising the future, but Andrew Benatendi doesn't make sense for them. Yeah. Uh, but, but a guy that gives you control for a couple years, I agree. You're going for it this year, but you're also looking at the future. And I think that's where the Marlins are at before we get to the nationals. One other story that I really wanted to touch on is, is Mark Appel. Uh, yeah. Phillies fans gave him a standing O as he pitched a scoreless outing. And uh, I mean, we we've talked about the whole story on the just baseball show and we don't need to, to go through all of it, but I mean, a, a former top overall pick that was viewed as one of the biggest busts of all time, retired, comes back and throws a scoreless inning yesterday against the Atlanta Braves. This isn't just a, you know, a show. Uh, this isn't just like, oh, let's call him up because our bullpen stinks and we'll, it'll be a cool story. This is a guy that had a sub two ERA as a reliever uh, in AAA. He's pumping mid to upper 90s and uh, he could be a bullpen piece for them in the seventh inning of this season, which is really awesome. The Phillies need him. I'll be honest, the Phillies do need him in the bullpen. But beyond that, what an awesome freaking story. Um, and, you know, it's nice to see a positive story in Philadelphia, especially after the Bryce Harper situation. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, you know, so many times we'll, we'll, we'll tell a person that they fail and they kind of just quit and give up on it. And, and, you know, he could have been selling cars somewhere, but, you know, he decided to stick at it. Obviously he loves the game of baseball. You know, I'm sure there was times where he was just pitching because he wanted to pitch and he was able to find something. He was able to remake himself. 
and that type of perseverance to see it pay off and to also see him, you know, potentially now, I mean, how old is he? He could have a nice career now as a relief pitcher for he some just time. turned 30. He, he could yeah. easily give you, he could pitch seven, eight years. Um, and I mean, and it's pretty, pretty awesome. He was off for, for multiple years after retiring. So his arms pretty well rested. It looks like he's pumping. I mean, harder than he ever did out of that bullpen. So uh, I think he could actually help the Phillies. They need bullpen help. And he's been really darn good uh, to wrap up with the nationals. Patrick Corbin, maybe one of his best starts in like three years. Uh, yeah. How many K's did he have? Was it 11, 12? I know uh, he got I, in double digits. I think it was 12. I think it was 12. I mean, I know it's the, it was the pirates, but eh, I mean, he, the, the problem is he could throw three consecutive no hitters and I don't think anybody is taking his contract and that's the problem. But Josiah Gray, was it? <laughs> wait, wait, can you just imagine we live in that world where all of a sudden Patrick Corbin just reels off three no-nos in a row and everyone's like, I still don't buy it. I still would you, would you, would you, no, would you trade for him? No. How no many, chance. how many consecutive no hitters would it take for you to take on that contract? <laughs> he could throw no hitters for the rest of the season. And I still don't think I'd want the, how many he's got what? So he's got two years left after this 24 million next year, then 35 in 2024. No one wants that contract. So even if he gave you like 12 consecutive no-nos, you're not taking that contract. Well, see, here's the problem too, is then he also gets like extra incentives now for his Cy Young that he's about to win with all these consecutive no-nos. <laughs> so. Yeah. The, the, actually his contracts are insanely incentivized as well, yeah. which I know the nationals aren't sweating uh, right now, but I guess if he was going on that toward stretch, that would, that would be a problem because it'd be even more money. You could make up to $40 million, which is obscene. Uh, was it you that re recently wrote on just baseball.com, the Josiah Gray piece? Uh, I will be writing one. Uh, Ooh, so yeah, give so us I'm, a little teaser for that because Josiah Gray has been yeah. dynamite. And that's a guy that if he throws consecutive no hitters, I'd be buying that because he is super talented. Of course, one of the centerpieces in the deal for Trey Turner and Max Scherzer this guy is really good. And I think he's starting to figure it out at the big league level. Yeah. Starting to figure out, I'm going to write that after his next start. I think he's starting on uh, Friday here. So I'll write that up and, and see if he can kind of keep this up. But you look at what he's done over his last uh, you know, couple starts here and his last three starts, he's got a one, three, eight ERA, uh, you know, for the season, it's as solid as can be for a nationals pitcher, a three, eight, two ERA over 14 starts. Right now, that's telling you that he's at least a major league starter, right? And a pretty quality one. But I think we know the upside is there for him. He is the one guy that we've talked about when it comes to this Nationals team that you look at outside of a Juan Soto and you say, all right, there's a building block here. There's a piece. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll be diving deep into the numbers. I don't know exactly what I'll find just yet, but I, I did want to look at him because he's been pretty good lately. I'd venture to say that command will have a lot to do with it. Um, yeah. And I mean, this is a guy that's had several really good pitches that all kind of move in different directions. He's a Supreme athlete on the mound. He was a shortstop at Lemoyne college, a division two school about 15 minutes from where I went to school at Syracuse and uh, was converted to a pitcher really late in his collegiate career. So, I mean, people really forget that this guy's still learning. I mean, most guys have an extra thousand innings under their belt or more uh, than Josiah Gray at this stage of their career uh, w when they make it to the big leagues. And, and he is still incredibly young um, and 25 years old. So hey, this is, this is a player that I think could be a number two type of guy. And I'm excited to see 24 years old, actually, to be, to be specific. And a guy that I'm really excited to, to see you unpack and, and kind of see what, what you're going to find there uh, outside of, of gray though, there haven't been too many positive stories uh, within the, the nationals org besides Josh bell. 
who actually continues to rake. And this guy's playing his way out of, out of Washington, which is good because they need assets. And um, I think he could get them a pretty good return with the way he's been swinging it so far this season. Yeah, I think so too. I think the one question is just who needs a first baseman. It seems like that, everyone has one. Uh, yeah. So that that's the one area where I, where I kind of wonder, I mean, even honestly, if you're talking about like the, I don't think the Mets make that trade, but it could be one of those situations where a team's looking for DH and maybe I, I was going to say, he's not even a good defense in first. Yeah, base. So, so it, he's really a DH and, um, and could be a good one. I mean, this is a dude that doesn't strike out. He walks a lot. Switch he's, hitter. He's a switch hitter. Yeah. Uh, 319, 402, 507 slash. I mean, this guy is having the best year of his career, uh, at least on pace. And that's even including that big kind of breakout 2019 where it looked like he was on his way to becoming one of the better young hitters in the game. Didn't quite ever recapture that until now. Um, and it looks like he may have figured something out here. Lowest K rate of his career and up there in the power department. I would love to see the Brewers just go get them. Um, yeah. And, and I'd be interested to see what kind of return. But regardless, there's going to be several teams that will be interested in his services. And I mean, the Nationals are one of the most difficult situations where I'm like, where are they going to find tradable assets on their roster to bring in prospects? Cause their system isn't that good. Josh Bell is the first guy that comes to mind and uh, you know, maybe a bullpen arm or two, uh, but they need guys to start hitting through this next month so that they can trade them. Uh, that's really where the nationals are at. Uh, and we'll see if anybody can do that. You don't think Pilo Espino gets a haul? I mean, two eight O ERA. Not a haul, but honestly, that might end up being a trade chip for them too, uh, which is just in, insane, to, insane to say. And Nelson Cruz, I don't even know if anybody wants him. Like, I, would you even take Nelson Cruz? I think the Nats would have to eat the entirety of the contract. I think there's an option there too. So yeah, no, nah, I don't, I don't think I'm so. Good. I don't think so. Um, yes, I think Espino is, is the is the case that I have this theory that the guys that pitch garbage time are just just naturally going to have lower ERAs. And I think that's what's going on with this, you know, but yeah. And then they get traded to a team and, and get some like higher leverage opportunities and they get shelled. Yeah. I've, exactly. I've seen that happen a few times. Well, I think that about covers the state of the national league East right now for this latest episode of the state of the division podcast tomorrow, you got NL central with Ethan and clay. I'm sure they'll be breaking down a lot of great stuff there. You got anything else before we close here? Uh, just on the Phillies point, I wanted to give one more shout out to Aaron Nola. Um, and I oh, know yeah. we've got a piece out on the site, uh, or about to have a piece out on the site, uh, by Colby Olson about just how spectacular Nola has been. He's been a big, uh, polarizing player in terms of analytics showing that he's underperforming and we're always joking. Like when are the expected stats going to kick in? Well, he's laughing now because the expected stats are kicking in 109 Ks, 13 walks. This is part of the reason why I think the Phillies can stay afloat. If Wheeler and Nola are doing what they're doing right now at the top of the rotation, that's almost two, two out of five days of the week. I would venture to say the Phillies probably have the pitching advantage. Um, and, you know, every once in a while, maybe another team's ace like Sandy or someone else or Scherzer could, could match up. But right now I'll take those guys with anybody and uh, that could keep the Phillies afloat. So look out for that piece on just baseball.com coming soon too, as well. Absolutely. Uh, like I said, that is this uh, latest edition of the state of the division podcast.